They do a good job? Amen. Okay, we're going to open the message time reading His Word. If you would take your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6 and stand with me, honoring the Lord and honoring His Word. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 and verse 23. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? (laughs) Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him, with Christ, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen? Amen. For you are not under law, but under grace. In verse 23, For the wages of sin, why that's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, as we look to your word this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister to us, that you would walk among us and draw us close to your heart and prepare our hearts as we look forward to sharing in communion and remembrance of you this morning at the end of the message. Bless the reading and teaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So a little bit of review. It's an astounding truth that we've been through as we've looked through Romans to this point. 
Can you believe it? Every sin can be forgiven through Jesus and his love for us. And no sin or sinner is beyond the love of Christ. Why, it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul put it, remember Romans chapter 5, 20, 21. The law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, the law shows us our abounding need for His grace, for what He's done for us, that we couldn't do for ourselves. But where sin abounded, oh, Paul says, grace abounded much more. Verse 21, so grace might reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we move into this next chapter, chapter 6, the context changes a little bit. It seems like Paul is wrestling with the disagreement of some Jews about the law. The Judaizer, who is the religious Jew, who says, well, I do believe in Jesus as my Savior, but he would go on to say to Paul, grace alone, Jesus alone, why, that can't really change a sinner's life. Sinners need the law to be able to change. Your grace without the law, Paul, it's dangerous. And Paul fires back, well, you don't have a clue what God's grace is all about. So that brings us to chapter 6. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Paul is firing back. Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? Certainly not. No, that's not what grace is all about at all. So we have arrived at one of the most powerful and, and poignant passages that Paul has ever penned. This is an amazing chapter. The Apostle has masterfully and persuasively made his point in the first five chapters. Salvation's apart from the law, apart from works. Remember Father Abraham. We simply believe, like Father Abraham, in Jesus and his work on the cross for us. And that's the end of the debate. And we're declared righteous just as if we'd never sinned. All this causes problems for these Judaizers. If you preach grace, why that won't help people. They'll just they'll live however they want to live unless you lay down the law, unless you tell them what to do and what to think. And Paul's answer is surprising as we finish verse two. It's kind of unexpected even. Look at the end of verse two. Paul says, Hey, wait a minute. Think about this, because you don't understand what grace is all about. You don't get this. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And this brings me to Paul's testimony. I love Galatians 2.20, where Paul simply states, this is how grace was applied to my life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That's Paul's freedom. I've been set free from sin. But Christ lives in me. That's Paul's power. 
Jesus himself, by, through the Holy Spirit, is now my life. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I'll never forget what Jesus has done for me. And that's his motivation. If you like to take notes, look at your first note, number one. A spiritual work takes place, Paul is saying, when a person believes, puts his trust in, invites Jesus to be his Savior and Lord, their old nature is crucified with Christ. And they are born from above. And now Christ himself lives in them. They're a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is that direct connection alive with Jesus. Jesus' love for Paul, the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. Think about this. Well, this was his motivation. Jesus loved me. He loved me while I was yet a sinner. Jesus died for me. And now he's living in me. And his, his life in me is the power to be what he created me to be. Only Jesus' love, forgiveness, and Jesus living in our lives can change a sinner into a saint. Paul continues, Don't you realize? Don't you know? this life-changing power of grace that's through our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you. So, look at verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Don't you get it? Therefore, and when there's a therefore, I always figure out why it's therefore. When you really came to Jesus, there was a spiritual work done in you. And your old life was crucified with Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the, by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Paul says, certainly, most certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And Paul is teaching here this life-changing power of our new life in Jesus Christ. The symbol for this is baptism. This is, this is God's symbol of what's spiritually happen to anyone who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. True story. An army chaplain reported his amazement at the large number of desert storm soldiers who gave their hearts to Jesus. And they came up to him and they said, we want to be baptized. And he goes, in the desert? There's, there's no water. And he goes, oh, I have an idea. He came up with a perfect symbol, a casket. 
And so they were baptized, buried with Christ. Their old life died. They were put in the casket. They didn't want to stay there. Get me out of this casket. And they were raised to new life. What a great picture. Following the death and burial of our old sin nature, always in Christ comes resurrection. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that glorious? New life. Christ now lives in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, why, they become a new person. The old life, gone. A new life has begun. And then I think of Colossians 1.27. The riches and glory of Christ, why therefore, you're, therefore you Gentiles also, not just the Jews. Christ now lives in you. And this gives you assurance. You can absolutely know for sure that Christ is working in your life. And you're going to be sharing his glory. So Paul's point, crystal clear. Dramatic change and life that happens to a true believer in Jesus Christ. When you give your heart to him, he takes it and you are crucified with him. And then he enters into your life and becomes a part of your life, and you're born from above, you're born again. A spiritual death and resurrection through Jesus Christ. Old life buried with him, raised to a new life, a miraculous new life. If you think back to chapter 5 that we went through, Paul touched on this, and this is the verse that he shared that with us, Romans 5.5. 5. And this is what he said, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Anyone who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now think about this. What is the love of God? For God so loved the world that what? He gave His one and only Son. And through God the Holy Spirit, God the Son Himself is poured out into our lives to change us from the inside out. So Paul goes on. Look at verse 6 now. And we'll look at the first part of it. Knowing this, this is something you need to know. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Paul says, you need to know this. You need to know that this is what happened. That when Jesus died on the cross, and now for us, some 2,000 years ago, somehow, in, in God's plan, my sin, my old life, when Jesus was on the cross and He took my sins upon His shoulders and He paid the penalty for those sins. I became crucified with Christ. Look at your notes, number two. This is fact. 
It happened spiritually to me the moment I believed on Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. The old, and I put Lee Talley, his sin and everything crucified with Christ. Write your name in there. Because that's what happened. And you can count on it. And then you look at the end of verse 6. I was crucified with Him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Whoa, isn't that good news? Well, that word translated done away with is interesting in the Greek. It means a couple things as I look this up. Actually, quite a few things. And I picked out three because I thought that really helps me understand what Paul is saying here. What happened when I was spiritually crucified and then born again in Christ. The old Lee Talley, you're unemployed. Don't need you anymore. No thanks. You're fired. Unemployed. Well, you're paralyzed. That hold that you used to have on me, sorry, can't hold on to me any longer. You can't, the grip is gone. You're rendered powerless. And that's where I like the New Living Translation and the way it translates this verse. Romans 6 6. We knew that, we, excuse me, we know that our old sinful selves, why, we were crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. Our old sin nature is not completely done away with until the moment that I step from this life into eternity and I'm completely changed, transformed. When I see Jesus face to face, I'll know Him and I'll become completely like Him, the Bible says. But until that day happens that your old sin nature is finally done away with, it still kind of has the power to whisper to you. Why don't you go ahead and click on that website? Toy with that fantasy. Why, I can't believe they, that guy cut you off like that. You deserve to lose your temper and let him know so. Or whatever it might be. Oh, really? Hmm. He whispers, why don't you share that with other people about that person? Although he can suggest, he's now powerless to make you do those things like you used to find yourself doing. Since on the cross, he was paralyzed, kind of from the neck down. All he can do is whisper at you. Sometimes he yells at you. 
But that's all he can do. He's rendered powerless. You don't have to do what he's enticing you to do anymore. Paul says, we've been set free. Amen? Isn't that glorious? We actually have a choice now because of Jesus. 4, verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. We'll stop there and talk about that a little bit. A verse that comes to mind, Hebrews 7.24, Because he, Jesus, continues forever, he rose from the grave, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, someday, glorious day, he's coming back, but because he's alive, we're alive. We're directly connected to His life through God the Holy Spirit. And verse 25, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. And in your notes, put it this way, number three, Paul's simple but extremely profound truth as long as Jesus is alive, I'm freed from sin. I have new life. Christ Jesus Himself living in me through the Holy Spirit. Because, and look at the end of verse 9, because death no longer has dominion over Him, over Jesus. He broke the chains of death for all humanity. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God, to the Father. Likewise, and this is where it gets, I think, really exciting. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, to be set free. And reckon yourselves to be alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, that term reckon, that's an interesting term. It's not one of those uh, southern terms, like if, if you lived in Louisville. Well, I reckon that it might rain tomorrow. Don't know for sure. I suppose that that might work. I used to say to Chris when he was a little guy, fifth grade or so, uh, after church at, at the Boulder Church, he'd, he'd come up to his mother and I and he'd say, can I go to Mark's house after church today? And I'd go, uh, I suppose. And Sometimes it would happen, sometimes it wouldn't, and he really got frustrated because what I suppose meant was, let me think about it, and we'll talk about it. And kind of the next Sunday, he'd got this figured out, and he comes up, and he goes, Mom, Dad, 
Mark's mom supposes. What about you? He knew if he could get two supposes, it would equal one yes. Well, that's what this reckon means here. It means absolutely yes. It's not something God needs to even think about. It's already done. It's a done deal. Paul's reckon means much more than maybe, or I'll have to think about it. It means absolutely yes. Every time. And that's why this is so powerful in our lives. Your notes number four. Reckon, says Paul, and the answer you'll arrive at will be life-changing. It all adds up to yes. Yes, you are dead indeed to sin. Yes, you are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I reckon that's good news, don't you? 1 John 3, 1 through 3 and verse 9. Know this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I like that. Dear friends, now we are children of God. There's been a spiritual miracle take place within our lives. And that's what Paul is talking about. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. What a glorious day that will be. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In our hearts, we're, we're wanting to be more like Jesus. In verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin as a lifestyle. Our lives are changed. Why? Because God's seed remains in him. Christ himself is living in you. is living in me. And he loves us. Oh, absolutely loves us just as we are. But oh, he loves us too much to leave us that way. Amen? Amen. This gives you assurance or power to be able to share in that new life in his glory. Therefore, look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body that you should obey its lusts. You don't have to go there anymore. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. No. Instead, you have a choice you can make. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For Verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but now you're filled with the grace of a loving God who loved you and gave himself for you. You're now under grace. The following truth that we are free from power of penalty of sin 
and on the heels of Paul's exhortation to simply reckon this fact true, here's some practical thoughts about that. So, you hear this juicy tidbit. Really? Are you sure? Well, I don't know, but I think so. Hmm. Huh. And then you're with another friend, and the old nature whispers, why don't you share what you heard? And you go, I don't think that's what I should do. That might hurt the person. Lord, I don't have to do that anymore. I used to really struggle with that, but I don't have to do that anymore. You set me free. My own life died. And Jesus, you're in me. Change me. I need your help right now. Or maybe that truck, just as you're ready to pass them, pulls out to pass another truck. And you go, and then worst thing happens that could possibly happen. He slows down. Oh, boy, that used to just burn me. And then I reckon that's not good for me. I reckon I need help here. Back off, cool down. Lord, evidently you're keeping me away from something that might hurt me down the road. You're changing my schedule. Wow, you're awesome, God. No problem. Most of the time, no problem. Or, I can't believe that they said that about me. That's just not right. I just hate the way that that came down. That makes me so angry. Lord, help me. I know you love them. Help me to love them as you love them. And because you're alive in my life, I reckon that I can do that. I can forgive. I reckon you're in my life to help me right now. True story, 1972 Two men were hunting on the South Seas island of Guam. They made a startling discovery. They found an active Japanese soldier. His name was Soshi Yakoi. 28 years he'd lived on the island in a jungle hut after the war was over. Yashoi was still fighting World War II. He didn't realize the war was really over, although he found a pamphlet dropped and the flyer announced, there's been a surrender, the war is over, we offer you complete amnesty. For over a quarter of a century, he lived in fear of still being captured. He spent his days in a cave, only came out at night. Yoshi offered lived off of frogs, rats, snails, nuts, and mangoes. The mangoes sound okay. The war was over. 
The victory had been decided. His world had changed. News of amnesty, peace, it had been given, but he refused to reckon it true, to believe it, to trust in it. As a result, he lived a life of self-imposed bondage. A pastor put it this way, sadly, this plight is like many Christians today. The war is over. The victory's been won on the cross. And your notes, verse 5, the sacrifice of Jesus set off an explosion of grace that transforms everyone who believes in everything about that believer. The cross of Jesus generates a miracle in the deepest part of us. The core of our being is absolutely changed. We're a new creation. Yet, like Yoke, if we don't reckon this to be true, if we don't act on it, its implication, impact will be minimal. This is God's provision of grace for every believer in every area of our lives. Number one, I reckon I've died to the power of pornography, anger, swearing, addictions, gossip, pride. We go down the list. Trying to stay away from my sins, though. Then, like Paul, reckon Christ lives in me. And you begin to see a new life take place from within your heart. Galatians 5, the fruit of Jesus in our lives begins to show love and joy and peace, patience and kindness goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control. But Paul wraps this up. There's one more question. Believer, now that you know this, what are you going to do about it? So this is where Paul is coming at us now in the rest of this chapter. Will you choose to believe, to trust? Will you choose to reckon this for your life? What then? Verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Oh, don't go there. Certainly not. Do you not know, verse 16, that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Why not continue in sin? Well, this is an illustration that kind of hit me as I was thinking about this. I'm reminded of the entertainer. Although he was warned that lions could never be completely tamed or trusted, he treated that lion he used in his act as a pet 
he was sure he could control. That is, until the day that the lion ended the show. So too, our adversary goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8 Oh, I've got this lion under control. I kind of I kind of need this to just make things better at work. And and if I don't do this, I I might not get that raise or boss might not be happy with me. He's asked me to do these things or whatever it might be. I, I I, I got this lion tamed. I can just do a little bit now and then. No biggie. But Paul is saying, watch out. Know this. The sin that you're playing around with, the sin that you think you've got under control, it's waiting for just the right time to come back and try to eat you alive. Whoa! So Paul wraps up with this reminder. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. And from the heart is speaking about you obeyed because you responded to the love of Jesus and what he's done for you. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, lending, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to more wholeness or holiness. And when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness you were you headed down a road that would ultimately lead you to death. Your notes, number six. In other words, to the degree that you once stubbornly pursued sin in the past that was slowly actually killing you, now, to that same degree and more, pursue Jesus and reckon His love and power in your life will produce a new life, a future, and a hope. Paul goes on, verse 21, For what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit holiness, and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to pass out the communion at this time. And just asking everyone to hold the bread and the cup and until... It's done. And while it's being passed out, consider this. Consider doing this.
fire the old boss, the sin nature, reckon, you're now unemployed. I don't want you. I don't need you. I don't want you to even whisper these things that used to entice me. I want you to be powerless in my life. Crucified. Two, reckon Christ lives in you. And you'll know the truth, John 8, 32, 36. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Our last note. Number seven. And this is what brings us to communion. Jesus' love for Paul, the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15, his love was his motivation. Jesus living in Paul, well, that was his power. Power to live a new life. His grace changes everything. Isn't that something? So as we look at communion, I want to put Galatians 2.20 up on the screen. Paul's testimony as we look towards what Christ has done for us, and he wants us to enter into the, his table of communion in remembrance of, of him being reminded of his love for us and the fact that someday he's coming back I've been crucified with Christ Paul says I no longer live I've been set free my old life crucified Christ lives in me Oh, there's power of Almighty God surging within my heart. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is the Lord's table. If you haven't invited him into your heart, if you haven't been changed spiritually, resurrected, buried and resurrected to new life. Do that. For this is what communion is all about. Remembering what Christ has done for you. And oh dear saint, may we be reminded of his love this morning. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Lord Jesus, thank you 
for dying on the cross and going through all of the scourging and hate and agony. The stripes that you received are for our healing. Your body you chose to be broken for us. How we thank you. And Jesus said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. Lord, as you took that cup, you knew exactly what you were going to go through, that your blood was going to be poured out on Calvary's cross, and that your blood would wash away our sins forever. Thank you. And as we take this, we do this in remembrance of you. The cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The worship team is coming up. This is quite a chapter. This is what I would like for you to do. I would like for you to reckon that this chapter is true, is fact in your life. And then how about making this your New Year's resolution to never forget that. To reckon that you're going to reckon this every day.